Hello, this is the Lucid Body House podcast, episode six, Pathways of Change. Before I introduce my guest today, what we just listened to was the Rwandan Cecile Kayiribwa, and that song was Inda Mukani. So today, I'm delighted to have my colleague, Kim Jesser, join me for a conversation. Kim Jesser teaches the Alexander Technique at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts graduate acting program and undergraduate new studio on Broadway musical theater program. She received her certification from the American Center for the Alexander Technique, where she was senior faculty for many years, as well as serving for three years as director of teacher certification. Kim teaches privately in Manhattan and Brooklyn and is a member of the Alexander Technique Diversity Coalition. She's interested in exploring how the Alexander Technique can be a tool for navigating the current moment, which it certainly is. Welcome, Kim. Hi. Thank you, Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So it's just, I wanted to have this conversation with another uh, body a uh, passionate person like myself, because our world right now seems so invested in systemic change, such a positive, essential thing. But doesn't that have to start with each individual body? Yeah, I think so, Faye. I mean, yes, absolutely. It's like I know the somatic work that the Alexander work does is about like how to step-by-step step, break down the habit and the lucid body work is is very similar how the given circumstances of each of our stories inhabit our bodies and our nervous systems mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as difficult as it seems we're breaking down this like social systemic I just immediately thought of our conversations about like the complexity of getting uh, a student an actor anybody in an environment where they feel they can look, reveal those stories, look at past traumas, look at, you know, nervous system patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what you feel about that. Yeah, it's, I'm super interested in this topic. I mean, I think that, uh, Obviously, we all have a lot of habits in, in our bodies, in the way we move, in the way we think, and, um, and they can certainly get in the way as well as um, they're often so completely unconscious. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's in a way, at least where my work starts, and I'm, and I'm curious what you would say to this piece, but that you know, first it's about heightening awareness of, of what those habitual patterns are and bringing them more into a sort of conscious place so that we can, we can make different choices and, and find some other options. Yeah, it's like the, the awareness is all, the somatic awareness of even being able to, what we've talked about, advocate for yourself. We brought this into the whole Me Too movement and learning, teaching people um, how to advocate for the ability to say no. Mm -hmm. No, I don't, I'm not comfortable being touched there. No, I will not do that choreography, but I will do this. 
And it, it just feels when you started talking about that uh, idea of the ability to say no to a habit as well. Yeah, right, exactly. And, you know, sometimes it seems sort of contradictory, especially when we talk about actors and, and, and in some ways they, they want to say yes to everything and yeah. embrace the moment and throw themselves into things. Um, however, sometimes that's just reinforcing the habit or in the case of like the intimacy work that sometimes they, I imagine, say yes to something that they maybe realize they weren't fully comfortable with. So it's as one teacher of mine used to call it the positive no, that, that pausing or saying no to something that's either habitual or, or maybe isn't going to serve us. Um, yeah. So that, so that something else can happen. Or like you say, that you can advocate for yourself and, and you know, set boundaries that are, that are healthy. Yeah, I just, I love the, we've started something in Lucid Body with the, the, you know, both palms, especially on Zoom, both palms right. up, meaning <laughs> I'm stepping out. I literally need to step out of this exercise because something is being triggered. Something is not okay. And giving mm -hmm. people the ability to step out whenever they want. And then there's the pause button. And the pause button, which sounds very similar to what you're saying, that pausing. Mm -hmm. And in that pause, we're sort of dropping into the body's intelligence. Mm -hmm. And in the mm -hmm. body's intelligence, we're saying, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I just am uncomfortable. And I think this is so good with trying to have equity in the classroom now and trying to give every color every culture, every race, this feeling that they can say, pause, I am uncomfortable with that word. Or pause, I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in what you just said or what they said or, you know, and that to me feels like we're starting to take, that starts to make the individual ah, that has been programmed all of us programmed in a certain way to start to take reflection in these pauses and break down habits of thinking. Yeah, I think the pause, yeah, I love that word also because it just, I don't know, it, it almost has a quality of suspension and, and stop is useful too, like the two hands, you know? Um, also pause is like, it just gives a little bit of space. And like you were saying, and then the body can respond. I mean, I think it's always the body, but um, in Alexander, sometimes he used to say, this is a quote I like, that the right thing does itself. So if you pause and don't sort of charge ahead with the habitual energy, something else will emerge. And I think it's also a process of the more that's explored, the more people can trust that sort of whatever that is, you know, that sort of knowing in your whole system about what's more, I don't know, more healthy, more balanced, more right for a, a specific individual in a certain circumstance. Yeah, we talk about the, the persona a lot, persona and shadow and the lucid body. And the persona is based on what we call the survival body. Right. Mm -hmm. the, I think you armored body, maybe it's called in Alexander. 
Um, uh, yeah, well, not exactly, but I mean, there, the same idea, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so much of that survival body is based on the given circumstances within that within which that individual grew up and was raised. So the nervous system is going to be particularly, you know, in tune if the environment was quite, you know, uh, one in conflict, if there was a child was born up in a war zone or Mm -hmm. if there was a Mm -hmm. sense of moving all the time, if there was a sense of of the parents are divorced or there's a Mm -hmm. sense of being other and not being, uh, being able to be completely comfortable with one's responses for fear of punishment, all of that creates this nervous system. And so it's interesting to start to break down, well, what if that circumstance is actually um, changed right now? You know, for my, in my instance, it's like I had a lot of siblings and they were quite rough on me. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But suddenly they're not around. Right. <laughs> You're free of them. And so there's a part of me that had to really learn to relax that ribcage and have a thoracic spine again, you know, in the back and, and to start uh-huh. to recognize, oh, my given circumstances have changed. Right. And so now I can start to let myself know that my habitual, my responses can then change to this new environment. Right. Yeah. I mean, the new, the, the, yeah, it makes me think of also like being in the present and those, those habitual responses, as you just said, come from childhood, come from the past. And it's like, we, we sort of reflexively repeat this stuff from the past when really, as you say, your siblings are no longer around, you know? Yeah. So, and there's, you know, everybody has their analogous history, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Each body has its own story. Right. And when we take away judgment from those stories, you know, if we take away, I think that's also the other thing is trying to get a safe space so people can start unlocking the things their body, their bodies have experienced. I mean, Peter Levine, it's interesting in his book, um, In an Unspoken Voice, he talks about free, you know, how trauma, of course, can get trapped in the body and get and totally shut down the system. And he mm-hmm. talks about how important it is to not confront trauma directly mm-hmm. to. And it, it spoke to a practice that I'm really getting more and more involved in, which is, you know, go towards something lightly and then come back and find center. Mm-hmm. I sort of have, you know, place the palms on a wall and feel that recalibrating of the center line. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so I think in a way the system starts to remember, oh, so I can go towards this really scary, uncomfortable place. But then I know because it happened last time that I can come back and refind my ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it starts to lead sort of a resilience towards those uncomfortable traumas and uncomfortable places that so many times are kind of locked into these habits we're talking about for fear of really releasing these sort of dragons within us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like the, the practice that you've developed. I mean, I think also, yeah, that the, 
the non-judgment piece is really key and that's a I think that's a big part of how I like to communicate with people that as as habitual patterns or traumas or whatever emerge that it's you know it's not it's it's not anybody's fault it's there's nothing wrong you're not doing anything wrong um and I don't know there's a certain amount of acceptance uh or, or work on becoming more self-accepting maybe is, is part of it. And the gentleness also, the not, yeah, not forcing anyone into um, places that are too traumatic or scary because it will just, I think the system just, uh, what's it called? You know, like when you overstretch a muscle and it, it contracts really tightly. Yeah. Like, it, like a it, spasm, goes into yeah. a spasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you don't want to elicit that kind of reaction in the system right the um i was reading this book by emily negosi and she was talking about the middle brain and that is like a circle in there they talk about the you know the amig the i think is it the amygdala is there which is sort of puts the alarm on when exactly yeah yeah? and then there's also the pleasure enjoying expecting eagerness that's also there it's middle brain so it's more of the limbic system but one of the things that she said and i thought this would be great to bring into the room of actors which is that when something is presented an exercise and improv and there's an eagerness right what is that and the body's Mm -hmm. moving into it but when there's something what the hell is that <laughs> then it means the body is having a different response. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. And yeah. and it's sometimes uh you know Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen talks about like the the brain is the last to know the truth. Yes, right. Things are are processed at a lower level, a lower brain level first and then sort of comes up to consciousness it make it makes its way out slowly if it's in an environment where that kind of pausing somatic listening is is there's time for it right and you know i was thinking today when i was thinking about the word pause and i was thinking about like in our larger situation and that you know, often they say in the media or whatever that we are on pause and it's a different kind of pause. And yet I think in some ways that has created the space for some of this larger systemic change that you're talking about. Um, Yeah. Because people have been home and they haven't been sort of running to the train to get to here and there and, you know, keeping that habitual momentum going. So, there's been a little space to reflect on all the stuff that's going on around us and, you know, maybe some of the time make new choices. Yeah. Oh, that's so, it's, that's a great way to, to put it because I mean, there are many, there are many black people have been killed by police brutality and everyone's gone about their business. Right. And suddenly there's this horror and everyone's there. Everyone's looking. Everyone. Mm-hmm. You're right. There's a pause in the whole system and suddenly everybody's looking within. And I feel 
um, you know, there, there is, if you're, if we, we have to pause, then we have to actually look closer to the truth. It reminds yes. me of meditation. I'm a big meditator and so goes, am I. Yeah. Oh, good. So they, you know, people say, Oh, meditating. It's just like checking out. Like you're, you're sitting there not doing anything. Oh, <laughs> it's the hardest work. It's very hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's paradoxical, I think, because it's hard. It does require like, you know, seeing the thoughts arise and mind wandering and coming back and mind what, you know, and coming back. It's, it's, it's a real discipline. And there's also a, um, I don't know. I mean, in, in my practice, we just are constantly talking about the breath and breathing. And I mean, it's interesting that you bring it up because I just this morning also opened up an email um, from Pema Chodron. You know her? Yes. Yeah. The places that scare you was sitting in front of me in case I needed it for a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> totally synchronistic. Right? Yeah. But she just, she has her pulse on it all, all the time. So I get these, these email quotes from her and this one was called interrupt the momentum. And she's talking about how um, challenging times give us the greatest opportunity for change. And then she talks about when we go down the rut of a habitual reaction, we have a chance to interrupt the momentum and then discover a whole new direction. So very much what we've been talking about, I feel. That's so good. And she's such a, uh, she's just a real, she has real vision. Tell me, what's that story about the weeds and the path? Because I think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that the other day that, um, I forget, some Alexander teacher told this story I read in a book where uh, her analogy was that, you know, if you live in a house in front of a field and every day you leave your house and you turn to the left and you go down this path and there's a, there's a path through the weeds and that's sort of your the way you always go. And then one day, for whatever reason, you decide to turn right when you go out of your house. And then you have to sort of, you know, bushwhack through the weeds. There is no path yet. But if you keep traveling down it, you will sort of carve out a new path. And the idea is that the, the you know, the neurological pathways in the brain, the habitual pathways are sort of, um, you know, we just go down them in the same way you go out that door and down the path that's carved out. And then when we pause and make a new choice, uh, we begin to create literally new new pathways in the nervous system. And I think all this, you know, the neuroscience, recent neuroscience is just showing how, how much more plastic the brain is than they used to think. And, you know, we are, it's just interesting, I think, because we're so capable of change, and yet it's also so hard to change. I wonder about that. I, I think when you were talking about those, pathways and I'm thinking about okay I turn right and there's it's really like all weeds and prickers and I'm going to get hurt and I'm not going to look very good (laughs) Uh you know and I think there's a lot of as as we grow up and become people in with jobs and places in our communities we are sort of ego gets 
makes us feel like we know what we're doing. Right. And I think that, and, you know, I am a Buddhist. I do practice Buddhism for that reason, to just keep trying to get myself off that, where Mm -hmm. that state being in that state where I might not know what I'm doing. And um, I certainly feel that with my white fragility now and understanding that and being in a place where, um, you know, be somehow in a room full of actors that we are saying being in a state of not knowing is such a, a place of growth. But first one has to feel comfortable enough to let down that ego, that confidence of what one does do well. Yeah, or maybe it's, I, I don't know if it's feeling comfortable or if it's being willing to feel uncomfortable or, or, or some of both, you know, because it's, yeah, it's, it can feel uncomfortable to not know and not be in that place of ego and I know what I'm doing and, um, and yet, I agree, it's the most rich place in the class classroom and that's when discoveries are made and you know art art can happen yeah it's something about i'm just thinking about the how grounded one needs to it's like first the body needs to find its ground so that if i'm Mm. in a state of not knowing i'm not going to be hurt or i'm not going to be you know go into a panic attack that i can be in a place of confusion and not knowing and learning and still feel like I, my feet are on the ground. Yeah. It's like a second childhood in a way that children, it takes them a long time to grow up and feel like, okay, now I, you know, I can, I got my feet on the ground and I can, and, and I can stand on my own. And then, then they go into acting training it's like whoa (laughs) (laughs) I thought I knew how to stand yeah and we're offering all these different things and um but it's it feels like because they're adults then they can still encouraging the that in a way that when I think about the chakra system and that root can be connected to the earth um Mm. but you can have that open child heart where when the children are so aware of so much they don't know and they don't feel bad about it and so that heart is quite open um and mm-hmm. and they might not have that grounding because uh, the people around them are taking care of them so to experience that grounding i'm actually i'm the adult i'm taking care of myself and i'm my own child and i'm opening up and being in a place where i don't know what's going on but that's okay Right. Because I want to learn. So I think that's Mm -hmm. sort of the best energetically what I, I think is allows for change, but in a, in a place where it doesn't trigger people's insecurity of, of being unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you say that. So do you, are there certain practices in lucid body it sounded like you were saying there's this combination of the the root chakra and the the child heart. Are there other things that, how else do you work with the sort of grounding aspect of things? Well, or is it about that root chakra? 
Well, it's, I mean, or... yeah, I think the root, I mean, second chakra is, is also grounding um, and creative. But I mm. think when we're just talking about that, being able to change, I mean, they, you know, in the sympathetic, parasympathetic, they always talk about the sympathetic mm-hmm. being activating, right? We're activating. And the, um, right. I think I just took a workshop in this polyvagal course oh, and they okay. talked about the Didn't ventral branch and the dorsal branch um, mm-hmm. and the ventral ban- branch being that sympathetic activation of doing now I'm active and the dorsal is uh, more of you know instead of what's that I'm curious it's more of what the hell is that and it's kind of it sets an alarm and can get that parasympathetic to start to go into not just rest and digest, but into a freeze, you know, mm. where, mm. where mm. I am not, it's the last thing I'm going to do is make any changes, you know, right. hibernating. And so in that name of sort of regulating those two, right. Cause we certainly don't want it to stay hyperventral or, but the, regulating that there's a sense of if if you're if my feet are on the ground if i'm if i'm grounded like i know where i stand Mm -hmm. in this room right now Mm -hmm. then i can be playing with the idea of activating something even though it's a little scary because i don't know it as soon as i leave Mm -hmm. as soon as i lose that grounding and go into imploded one is what we call it imploded then there's a Mm -hmm. there's just it's unsafe it's a feeling of of panic, our our survival needs feel like they are being questioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really you're making me want to stand up. Which I'm doing. <laughs> I need to feel my feet. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, in Alexander too, we work a lot with just not not just the feet, but the the sense of the energy of the entire legs, you know, flowing into that ground, ground being that contact with the earth, and then the the upper body, the spine can can more elongate and, you know, in the head and sort of reach out into the environment and, and have that curiosity. But you're right. It's, it's, um, yeah, it feels good to me to stand on my feet. Yeah, right it's now. the same system, though, right? The more someone is right on top of their feet, and the more that upper, the higher, um, the, the higher vibration of the upper centers, right, the mind, can be free the thinking yeah. i know the the head uh position is so important in alexander right because mm-hmm. that occipital can you can you you better talk about it because you're, you're no more <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that you know uh let's see alexander's habitual pattern was that he was kind of pulling his head back and putting downward pressure into his neck and into his throat, which caused him to lose his voice. And so he discovered then when he could release that tension in his neck and his head could really poise on that occipital joint. Uh, not only did his voice free up, but he found that the entire, his entire torso sort of expanded and decompressed because he wasn't putting the, the pressure of his head on it. And then, of course, with that, when the head is really poised on top of the spine, it's less of a position, but really a, 
a very dynamic balance from which the person or the actor can, you know, can rotate, can like, yeah. bend laterally, they can, whatever, they, there's quite a range of movement of the head that, that allows our, our senses to move out, to see, to hear, to speak, you know, so it's, yeah, it's. It's fascinating. I, I, I always say just because I think it's a good um, kinesthetic image, you know, that idiokinesis where you can just like, think something and, and let the energy mm-hmm. start to move. Energy follows thought. I like to think of the head yeah. as the last vertebra. Aha. Uh-huh. Huh. That's an interesting right? So that it is an extension of the spine. It's not separate. It doesn't fall off the spine. It's not in front of the spine. That it's literally the zero cervical vertebra. <laughs> <laughs> the atlas and I like that. I'll have to play around yeah. with that. The atlas and the axis, and then the zero. Maybe you can come up with a better word, but sometimes I'll just say like, zero is is kind of potent, yeah. You know, you have that circle. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, this has been a great conversation. We could talk forever. I know it's very stimulating. I know. And I'm really enjoying yeah. it. I, unless you have something else, I was going to end with a Bonnie Bain, Bainbridge Cohen quote, unless you have something else you want to talk about. I love that. I don't know if you know that I, I also did her training. I didn't put that in yeah, my Yeah, no, you didn't. I, I had a feeling that uh, body-mind centering was a lot when I was a modern dancer. Uh, her work came up a lot with, you know, with mm-hmm. how we were training. And so while I never got the opportunity to study with her, I've seen a lot of her um, videos. And she's just, you know, she's a master. She's yeah. brilliant. She really, she really, really is. Yes, so I would love to hear a quote from Bonnie. Let's okay. The mind is like the wind and the body, mm. the sand. If you want to know how the wind is blowing, look at the sand. Beautiful. I know that I quote. figured yeah. you did. Thank you. I love that. So thank you, Kim. This was so great to talk with you. And I guess I'll see you. Well, maybe I won't see you physically on campus. but <laughs> <laughs> See you, you on, on Zoom, Zoom, right? Thank you. No, thank you so much for asking me. I really, it was, it was really a pleasure to talk My with you. My pleasure. I'll see you later, Kim. I'm going to end with some music. And back to Cecile. Thank you very much, Kim. This is Faye Simpson at the Lucid Body House podcast. If you have a comment, you can go to anchor.fm, Faye Simpson, and there's a way you can message and uh, have any content, anything you'd like Kim and I to know about a response to this podcast. All right. Thank you very much. Bye.